So, continuing our discussion of Vedanta Sutra in terms of the Bhagavatam, the natural explanation of it. Last night we discussed the third sutra, Shastrayonitvat, which tells us that the subject of the sutras that we are to inquire about from whom the world, etc., has come, is to be known through revelation, through Shastra. And we come, so we come to the fourth sutra. These are the big four, first four, so to speak. And um, they're all separate adhikara or, or topic. But a doubt may come in the minds of those who are somewhat familiar with the Shastra when it is said that through Shastra we are to know about Brahman because it would appear at a glance or even at considerable study of Shastra, which is this body of revelation that's quite uh, vast, quite voluminous, you know, 108 Upanishads plus. I've, I've heard of 300-some Upanishads, and uh, and the Vedas themselves are, are very long, and then if you add the supplementary literature like Puranas and so forth, it's a huge body of literature. And so where do you start? And there's there appears to be appears to be a body of literature that may not be that well connected one text to the next and may talk about many different things for that matter that seem unrelated and and so the it could appear that the shastra is about many things and not exclusively about brahman when the the sutra is saying well this this is the way to know about Brahman implying that that this is the topic that the uh, Shastra deals with, Brahman. So the doubt may arise. Well, I'm, are you sure? But how, how can we how can we say that? It appears to talk about many things. It talks about karma. It talks about gyan, upasana, devatakanda, uh, description of different gods and goddesses, uh, the path of karma and Gyan and you know, Bhakti and so many things. There are uh, in the Karmakanda section. There are there are prescriptions for how to make rain, how to get a son or a daughter, um, and sacrifices accordingly. And so, so you know, what does this have to do with with Brahman and so on? So it's diverse, and in in effect, really, this of course is why the sutras have been 
uh, were compiled by Vyasa, as I, as I said in the beginning, to make sense out of it all, to show the concordance. And so the sutra here comes, the fourth sutra, and it more or less is what then the rest of the sutras all proceed to do. And the sutra says, tat tu samanvayat. Tat tu that but sam anvaya. And um, the but is, is, is thought then to be a reply to the doubt. The doubt being again that, well, it seems like the Vedas is just, they talk about all, the Shastra talks about all kinds of things, not necessarily Brahman, maybe there's some section about that, but, um, so there's, so the answer comes, but that Shastra, by which we are to know about Brahman, fill in the words here, is really about, only about Brahman, if you understand it in context. So some anvaya. Anvaya means like um, like the like the word meaning anvaya, and some means complete. In anvaya, it more or less means context. In in this traditional classical sense, it consists of six things which we are to um, be, be aware of and take into consideration when reading any text, if we are to arrive at an understanding of what it's really talking all about, uh, talking about. And those six things are what? They are, um, one, what the, what the introduction says and what the conclusion says. That's one thing. So in our common experience in the modern society, if you write something, generally there's an introduction to the, to the piece what you're going to talk about, and in the end, there's a conclusion where you wrap it up, and they they correspond. So, to you know, if you want to know what the article's about, go to the introduction, go to the conclusion, right, and then see if it's worth worth reading. Now, that's one thing, and then then the other five are uh, to study or or see that which the text repeats, which a theme that repeatedly comes up. Then the third is that which is peculiar or unique about the book. The fourth is um, that which the, the book says, the Paul, will be the fruit of reading it. That's to be taken into consideration. And then uh, the author may say himself what the book's about. That's certainly to be taken into consideration. And then reasoning also. So this is anvaya. And some, some anvaya means to completely reconcile all the text, which is again basically what the Vedanta Sutra is. So from this sutra, he proceeds then. These are four like introductory sutras. Inquire about Brahman. Brahman is that from which the world, etc., comes from. Uh, you can know about Brahman by Shastra. And to, to reaffirm that, so to speak, that Shastra is only about Brahman. This is the only topic. And Brahman means, as we've been hearing from Bhagavatam, Param Brahman, it means Vishnu, it means Krishna. All these books that all they're talking about is Krishna in three senses. What? Sambandha, Abhideya, Prayojan. But something a little bit, in a sense, it does that indirectly in some sections, and it does it directly. Therefore, Jiva Goswami, in his Paramatma Sandarbha, directs us back to the first verse of Srimad Bhagavatam, the first stanza. He said, 
He says, Anvayad Vyatire, Anvayad Itaratha, Itaratas, Anvayad Itaratha, directly and indirectly. So you see, this is what the, this is, the Bhagavatam is saying, what does it mean that if you understand the Shastra in context, in its entirety and comprehensively, that uh, it's all about Brahman, it's about Brahman, speaks about Brahman or Krishna directly or indirectly. If we want to define a topic, we may define it in terms of its sarup lakshan or its tatasta lakshan. Tatasta lakshan may be what it's not. Like we define bhakti, Rupa Goswami is defined bhakti in this way. What does he say? A chorus on that one. Anyabilashita sunyam, gyan karmadi anavritam, anukulena krishnanushilanam, bhakti rutama. So, what is the tatasta and the surup lakshan of bhakti as described by Rupa Goswami? Which one? Tatasta lakshan. So, that's what it's not, and anyabilashita. It, it, it's 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 devoid of extemporaneous desires and interests. It's not covered by karma or gyan. So it's this is a definition of bhakti, but it's talking about what bhakti is not, what shuddha bhakti is, is uh, free from or devoid of, and what it is, anukulena krishnanushilanam, favorable and ongoing culture of of. Uh, of uh, service to Bhagwan Sri Krishna. So, you know, in the Vedas, we have then sections that are speaking directly about the Lord, and we have sections that are speaking indirectly about Him, or about Him to those who are not ready to hear everything about Him, given their psychology, given their conditioning, and so forth, which is which is varied. So there are different paths, in, in a sense, at a, at a glance. But if we study them very carefully, we see they're all leading to bhakti or showcasing bhakti and Bhagwan, uh, either directly or indirectly. Probably the Bhagavad Gita is a good example of this. And Bhagavad Gita is sometimes called Gita Upanishad because it's directly spoken by the Lord. So it's Shruti as opposed to Smriti. Smriti means like after having heard, recollected, and then saying something. So the Smriti speaks to us in that way, and the Shruti is directly uttered by the Lord. Therefore, sometimes people give more emphasis to the Shruti than the Smriti, because it comes directly from the Lord. But of course, and characteristic, I would say, of our Guru Parampura, what does Diva Goswami say about that? He says, actually, the Puranas, which are Smriti, they, they pour, they fill out what's there in, in the Shruti, and they, they more fully explain the meaning. And so, das, das, anu, das, it's something like that. We want to hear directly from Krishna. This is Kanishtadikari. I only want to hear from the Guru. Mahaprabhu told Raghunath Das, look, I put you under Srup Dhamadar for a good reason here. He knows more than I do, practically. I want to hear something directly from you. I can say something, but I'm not cheating you by putting it here in front of uh, Sarup Kamara Goswami. So this is how 
uh, bhakti works. And so with regard to Shruti and Smriti, the Purana, we, we give more emphasis. And of course, Bhagavad is, is one of the Puranas. Which one? The Amal Purana. Srimad Bhagavatam Amalam Puranam Yadvaishnavanam Priyam Paramaham Susanghitam. So, Gita is often given a, a special place of its own. Uh, it's, it's in the Mahabharata, which is Itihasana and Smriti, but it's considered a Shruti at the same time because Bhagavan Sri Krishna is directly speaking it. Therefore, it's sometimes called Gita Upanishad. And it's very Upanishadic-like. Many of some of the verses in there are in the 13th chapter. You can find in the second chapter there are verses that are also found directly in, in other Upanishads. And, and, and what do we find there? Is it, it's a kind of a really uh, nice sampling, if you will, of the Upanishads. We find people read the Bhagavad Gita, and Prabhupada used to ask them, you know, have you read Bhagavad Gita? Yes, I've read Bhagavad Gita. And Prabhupada would say, what? What is the conclusion? And they would say something like, I didn't know there was one. A conclusion? I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it talks about this, it talks about that, pick your path. Uh, it's the kind of book you just open up and, you know, without just close your eyes and well, it's a words of wisdom and closes back and you can't like make sense out of it all or does it really have a you know that's an extreme but does it really have a conclusion it's words of wisdom and um, of course if you go to the acharyas who've come including Shankar and, and Ramanuja's super excellent commentary Vaishnava commentary super excellent commentary and then our Gaudiya Vaishnava acharyas commentaries which are also Super excellent and sweet and so forth. You 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 find um, really wow systematic. When I wrote my commentary on the Gita, one of the reasons that I did it is because I hadn't felt I felt that I hadn't done justice to the Gita, though I'd read it Prabhupada's edition many times. I had given more attention to the Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Charitamrita. I naturally just kind of leapt leaped there. But, you know, I studied the Gita, I studied, memorized the seventh chapter, the eighth chapter, the ninth chapter when I was young, your age, and, and uh, in my twenties, and, you know, I learned so many verses from different chapters, and uh, I, I knew it pretty well, but still, I, after all those years, I was thinking, you know, I haven't really done justice. People, justice to what people, excuse me, justice to what people say, that Bhagavad Gita is the perfect book. If you know Bhagavad Gita, then you can explain everything. So I thought, well, you know, let me look at it from that point of view and see it, what's there. And going through it, I tell you, my experience was that after every chapter, I thought, wow, that is just like the logic of this and how this works is so incredible. What could, you know, he did a great job on that chapter. And I'm thinking, how will he, you know, what will he do next? How will, how will he do better than that? And the next chapter was the same way. And then the third chapter. And really, that was my experience. I was absolutely flabbergasted by it. The logic of it, uh, the way it fit together, and, the, the, and how it just so clearly spoke about uh, bhakti and, uh, and uttam bhakti. And, uh, it was just an incredible experience for me to write it. It was very edifying, and, and that's largely, as I say, why I undertook the project, to edify myself and with the hope that if I got edified, then other people associated with me would be uh, as well. It's not a, an unreasonable a bad uh, or bad motive for uh, undertaking such a a, uh, a study. So 
you know, it has a purport. It, it, it has a it has a storyline. It has a a uh, a conclusion, and it comes to a a, uh, a particular point. Even though it appears to talk about so many different things, it doesn't leave you really to choose. It leaves you to choose relative to your adhikar and explains the, it explains basically bhakti directly and indirectly. It showcases other types of yoga and, and, and then compares it to bhakti and weaves back and forth directly and indirectly. This is how the texts largely um, work. And again, it's like defining the thing from in terms of its primary characteristics or its, its marginal characteristics. It may be seen to be advocating karma yoga in one place. And so you think, okay, well, I can choose karma yoga, or I could do jnana yoga, or I could do, you know, maybe bhakti, or something like that, uh, people think. But if you look at it carefully, you see that each of the paths is very interesting. And Vishwanath Chakrabhati Thakur makes the point in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, in the 21st chapter, the last two verses are kind of an answer from the Bhagavatam, or a commentary from the Bhagavatam on this sutra, that we're discussing, Tattu Samanbayat. There, Krishna is speaking to, to uh, Uddhav, and he says that he says that the Karmakanda is all about me. Hmm? It may appear otherwise, but it's all about me, all those sacrifices. The Devatakanda is all about me, or Upasanakanda, worship kanda, the different gods and gods. It's all really about me. And the Gyankanda is also all about me. It all speaks all about the material world, what it's like, how to get in, in, in disentangled from it so that you can come closer to me. All these are about, and obviously the bhakti section, is, khandi, khandi is, is obviously all about me. But, but Shripad Vishwanathakuri Thakur makes a really wonderful point, and it's just like these bhakti points that just like kind of hit you right between the eyes, like, wow, this just makes so much sense. It's so, it's so full of uh, common sense. He says what? He says, all these paths are mentioned in the Vedas. We have these different sections, but look at them, he says. The Karmakanda, you take it up, and it's advocated, but it's also advocated that it should be given up, right? At a certain point, from Karmakanda, for engaging in karma, or, or you know, following the Vedic injunctions for good karma and going to heaven, it should be eventually, it's taught, at a certain point, it, it should be given up and replaced with, well, doing karma without a fruitive desire. Just like we find this in the Gita, right? Here's the same progression. Krishna starts to talk about dharma. Uh, and then he talks about giving up the desire while uh, engaging in karma, nishkam karma yoga. So karma becomes yoga. And then karma is given up, with the, which is all about desire. And then the yoga of action is is what it comes to. There's ingress of, of mystic wisdom, knowledge. That kind of interface that we were talking about, where where you know, the, the, the knowing means really to know a thing, to apprehend a thing. It means to be interpenetrated with the object. Especially we're talking about Brahman, the all inclusive. To know it means means to there's an interpenetration between the object of knowledge. And, and the knower and, and knowledge. And of course, we don't mean that in an adwaitant sense, but by love.
there's an interpenetration between the, the knower and that which is to be known. So anyway, you, this mystic knowledge starts to come and then there's no work to be done, right? One has no more duties in relation to the world. He's in touch with the underlying principle of the world, Brahman. And so, so karma yoga is left behind. And jnana, what happens in jnana? In jnana, you're in sattvagun. Sattvagun doesn't, doesn't foster work. It makes you happy, you know. <laughs> you don't have to work. The, the characteristic of sattvagun is happiness and knowledge. And as I've said many times, if you have knowledge, then, you know, and that's why your grandfather wants you to go to school, because you have knowledge, then you won't have to work like a sudra for the swami. Hmm? <laughs> You'll be able to get a better job. And so, so, so anyway, so knowledge in, in Ganmark is ultimately meant to be given up also. Or sattvaguna, right? And, and then merging with Brahman, entering the, entering the Brahman. So, you get my drift? What is the Vishwana Chakravitakura's point that he makes? Then you come to Bhakti. Bhakti is advocated in the scripture. But think about it. There's nowhere in the scripture you can find that it's said that Bhakti should be given up unless it's some off-the-wall commentary by somebody who you know, isn't really following the, the current of, of revelation. Nowhere in scripture is it said Bhakti should be given up. I thought it was just such a nice point. And, and, and so this is what it's really all about, ultimately. And other advocacies are provisional advocacies to bring one to a certain point where they become more qualified and more qualified still. And then they can take the bhakti, of course, then, again, if they have good association and they get shraddha, they can take the bhakti immediately without having to go through all this, this gradual process. But then, of course, what will happen in that, if you're executing bhakti, then the things that we would realize in karma yoga and jnana yoga, that will, that will the things that come in you first, not dancing with Krishna in the moonlight, uh, that'll come later. <laughs> so we should look for the results of other paths that are included within bhakti to come within us. Brahmabhuta, Mahaprabhu quoted this first, Prasanatma, Nasochati, Nakankshati, this morning. Samasaveshu Bhuteshu, Madhbhakti, Mabhate Param. Param Bhakti. This will come after passing through self realization. Parabhakti. So we do bhakti to get bhakti because bhaktiya samjataya bhaktiya, as Mahaprabhu also quoted. Only bhakti can give bhakti, but that's sadhana bhakti. In the context of sadhana bhakti, bhava will awaken. And in cultivating the bhava, then prem will, will uh, descend. So, at any rate, the point is that while there seems to be a diverse advocacy in the scripture that talk about all kinds of different things, going to heaven, like I said, making rain, getting daughters, and so forth, how am I going to get Brahman from this book? It talks about all kinds of things. But understood in context is the point. Then, then we can uh, we, we can arrive at that conclusion. The, the advocacy that hearing from Shastra is the way of knowing Brahman is supported by this sutra, which says, uh, to, and to understand that, you have to have 
see the context. Good guidance is necessary for this. Some unbayat. What is unbayat? Obviously, you have to sit at the feet of the Guru and carefully study all these things to understand what it's really saying. So the Gita, as I say, is a good kind of example of this. It's so powerful, the conclusion of the Gita, and it's so much about bhakti and Krishna, but people think it's about so many different things, and they even miss the fact that it's about Param Brahman. I mean, Gandhi studied the Gita, and he thought he just used it for politics, basically. I mean, he was a religious man, but his whole orientation was towards Swaraj, was not about Mukti, liberation. Swaraj means, you know, it's, it's incredible to think, just as a side point, and I think I mentioned this before, what was going on at the time in India, how, how you know, this is such a big movement, Gandhi's, every young man and, 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 and woman thinking, wow, this is like revolutionary. This, the British are ruling over us and here we are, you know, this, this, this whole movement for Swaraj and, and you know, the walk to the ocean and the fasting and all these, you know, all these people, you know, talking behind the doors and this is this catching every young person, like, you know, like, like, you know, Barack Obama or something, you know, catching the, every young person's, you know, yeah, we're going to change things and have a new, you know, like a Kennedy or something, you know, but like many times over, given the oppression and the, of, of foreign rule and so forth. And, and then, again, this is just a side point, but the, what was the preaching of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur that in the midst of that, he could draw young men and young women from from Gandhi's movement. That's powerful. Prabhupada was like that. Sridhar was like that. They were all wearing khadi. That means we're Gandhi's followers. We're wearing the, 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 the hand-loomed cloth, not the milled cloth. And we're not going in the way of the industrial uh, British. Hmm? We're going to keep it you know, homespun. and uh, We're Indian people, and, you know, whatever. And... and just to pull them out of that, powerful. So anyway, Gandhi had a you know a political idea of of the Gita, and there's so many. That's one. That's one sense. We used to, when we were younger, in the ISKCON, people would devotees would really criticize all these different interpretations of the Gita. I don't think it's necessary to to, to, to criticize them, the sociological ones, the psychological ones, the the, the political ones, and so forth. Um, but rather, it's kind of a uh, serves to just bring out the, the universality of the Gita. That if you want that from it, you can get that from it. Also, you can get good political advice, you can get good social advice, you can good good psychological advice from the Gita. It's just uh, it's all there. But there's more than that there, and that more is ultimately what it's about. And it's about Brahman. And Brahman means Param Brahma, Sri Krishna, hmm? the chariot driver. Of Arjuna, so this is a good example, the Gita, of how people can, and what to speak then of the Veda, so many volumes of books and so many different Puranas, Shiva's two Bhagavan Swayam, it says in one place, and or something like that, and where the, the Devi Bhagavat and this and that, so many different kinds of worship, but really putting it all together, and as Vyasa is trying to do that in the sutras, so the Bhagavatam has done. And the Goswamis, Nana Shastra Vicharanekanipanosa Dharma Samstapako Lokanam Hitakaranoti Bhuvani Manyusha Nanyakoro. 
how they study the scriptures and how they, they, we call them the bhakti shastras, what they wrote. We, 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 we think of them as our shastra gurus. For us, the Goswami's books, they are shastra praman, par excellence. They're all drawn from Bhagavatam. They're all telling us what's in the Bhagavatam. And they're doing it by taking from so many scriptures. It used to just absolutely blow my mind to, to read and say, How, where did he get that book? <laughs> that obscure book. He pulled that verse out to make this point, to, to demonstrate this point. What kind of comprehensive knowledge they had. The task before them was immense, and they did a, just an extraordinary job of it. Which is what Bhagavatam is. I mean, Vyas wrote all the Vedas, right? As the story goes, and he was felt undone, dissatisfied. And Nara told him, well, you haven't come out and said it in no uncertain terms about an emphasized bhakti. So why don't you do that? And that's what he did. And then that's what the Goswamis did, you know, exponentially to the, you know, to the nth degree. And so, Bringing all our focus into the Bhagavatam and what it's what it's really saying, and you know, Bhagavatam's a great book. It's it's a popular book and so forth, so forth. But you don't find Shankar commenting on it. You don't find Ramanuja commenting on it. Madhva just a uh, little tiny little something he wrote about it. You go to Acharyas. They, these are the real standard commentaries. The commentary of Sanatana Goswami and uh, Jiva Goswami, Vishwanachakuti Thakur. These are the original kind of Gaudiya commentaries. These are what really bring out what's in the Bhagavatam. And you can find any group in Vrindavan, any sect, they're going to discuss Bhagavatam. They're going to be drawing from Vishwanath, Chakravdipakura, Sanatana Goswami, whether they say so or not. They're insights. Um, they just did an extraordinary uh, uh, job of drawing from all the revealed scriptures to explain what they are all saying, how they are all saying, Tattu Samanvaya. This is what they did. Like Vyas, but but in a, in a, Vyas did it in, in in this is what we're supposed to do. He did it in the sutras, and then he did it in the in the Bhagwat under the command of and the blessing of Nard, making it what eighteen thousand shlokas, and the Goswamis are making it so many, and we should make it so many more to explain this. Uh, this is this is the main main idea of of revolution. That revelation. This is what revelation is all about. And we are too, for that matter, as it said later in Bhagavatam. And this was cited this morning in our discussion of the brief reading, I should say, of the Chatur Shloki of the Bhagavatam, four shlokas that were spoken by Brahma, Krishna to Brahma. There, it's similar ideas expressed. What anvayadvyatirekabhyam? You should search it out directly and indirectly, in every way, come to this conclusion. In one sense, that will mean to us, in relation to our culture of bhakti, that indirectly we'll culture bhakti by avoiding things that are not favorable to bhakti, and directly by embracing the things that are, and so forth. But it also means, again, jnan karmadi anabritamanyabhilashita sunyam, that which is not bhakti, that which is bhakti, and... Um, searching it out means this is what the Goswamis did. This is this is this is uh, uh, two things. It is nastaprayeshu badreshu nityam bhagavat sevaya nityam bhagavat sevaya nityam bhagavat sevaya bhagavati utama sloki bhakti bhavati nastiki and 
निगमकोगतरोगलितम फलम सुखमुगरामतरामसंबितम विपत भागवतम रसम मालायम मुहुरहो राशिकबुपि बाबुकह Again, drink it again and again. Mahaprabhu quoted this verse this morning. Study Bhagavatam, Nityam Bhagavatam Seva. Regularly study Bhagavatam. Regularly hear Srimad Bhagavatam. And of course, Krishna Kaviraj has told us, oh, there's two Bhagavats, by the way. There's Bhagavat Shastra and, and Bhagavat Bhakti Prata, one who's a, who's a, a vessel of Bhakti, the Bhagavat, the, the devotee. These two together, he says, they, they, the gift that Gornatai come to give, they give through these two Bhagavatas. They make that brain come in your heart. And when that brain is in your heart, those two brothers, Dvibai, Gornatai, they're captured by that. So, regularly study Bhagavat, become fixed. And what happens when you're fixed? Then, Mahaprabhu said, he quoted that verse, Nigamakapaturo You drink the sweet fruit of Srimad Bhagavatam that is even sweeter because it comes from the lips of Sukadev. The implication is that Sukha also means parrot. When the parrot bites on the mango, then it becomes sweeter. So when it comes through Sukadev, it's even sweeter. When it comes through the Gosamis, it's even sweeter. It's more more relevant when spoken about according to the time and circumstance. And so you are to drink that the fruit Galitam also means fallen. It means from the tree that's fallen, that fruit, the ripe one, that came down on its own. Not that you're supposed to climb up there in the tree and shake it down. I want the fruit. It comes of its own. You approach the tree, there it is, at the base. Drink the fruit, it says. And what? After you've drunk it and you've passed out as a result of that and you become oblivious, to the external world, when you come back from that, drink it again, drink it again, and drink it again, again and again and again. Repetition is a good thing in this case. Repetition is a good thing. Sadhu, sadhu, pade, pade. We never tire, the sages said, of hearing this nectar of Srimad Bhagavatam. It's like nectar to our ears. It's life. So these Goswamis, they churned this whole body of sacred literature. Sometimes they said they churned the eight drops of Mahaprabhu's shikshastakam and made it into an ocean of explanation of what he was about, which is, which is Srimad Bhagavatam. And they showed so wonderfully the concordance of all this, how it all comes to this, ultimately to bhakti. This is what the scripture is pointing, pointing to. Bhakti and, and the kind of bhakti that corresponds with Satyam Param. Not ordinary Brahma idea. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate, Swayam Bhagavaniti. Sabjate, something like that. And, and Bhagavan and, and more. It's an extraordinary um, undertaking. To, I mean, it's just, I, you know, I think of like writing a book, commenting on one of those books, it's just like, oh my God, that's just like a huge lifetime task. What they did, if you think of Prabhupada flying around the world, managing hundreds of centers, and and uh, when everybody goes to bed, he stays up and writes the book. And every month we had another book, like four hundred page book coming out. Who has life that they could speak about this? They are energized to talk about this, to do something about this, to expand this idea. This is 
exciting. This is the good good news to make sense out of revelation. This is the task. So, tattu samanvayat, it comes, this is the fourth verse, and then as I say, this is like, okay, and then from here, that's pretty much what happens. He starts to, he's doing it in the first four, but uh, he goes on now more deliberately to take on all the different Upanishadic statements and make sense out of them for us. So, to such people where uh, we owe uh, we owe a debt. Any question? Yeah. Uh, I had a question. Uh, what is that? I applied the terms you used last night. Avaidusha. I wasn't clear on that one. Avaidusha was pretty... Avaidusha means like ordinary sense perception. So that's, that would be just like pratyaksha, but... It's both pratyaksha. Pratyaksha means direct perception. Right. So you can have direct perception of the senses and what they can apprehend, how close they can bring you to the to the object of of knowledge that they are investigating. And then you have direct perception of the soul un, unfettered by the by the senses. And there you have real capacity to apprehend what it is. And then and I'm part of that. And there's this there's this knowing that comes when in Samadhi we have different stages of samadhi, but in samadhi, the first stage of samadhi will be you go into a trance and you just see everything is, everything's in order. There's no, everything's just, I'm just, whoa, get out of the way. It's all working here. It's all in order. There's no, there's no problem. I don't have to control anything. It's all under control and it's working wonderfully. Magically, this is the first experience, and then of course they, they they will come out and go back in, and then deeper in samadhi, you get an experience like that. Now you have experience that the world is big, and here I am, but you get an experience that my heart is bigger than the world, my heart swells up. It's bigger than and the world's like a small spot in my heart. Heart like expands. Hmm? accommodates the whole world becomes small in, in comparison. It's hard to explain, isn't it? But something like that. Hmm? So this is this is then a direct perception of the. In other words, you you you're seeing yourself as I'm. I am the world. I am. It's. I mean, this is the underlying principle. You're one with Brahman. Is what the world really is. Underlying the world. I'm that. I mean, we're not going further into Leela and so forth. But something like that. So that's a direct perception. It's truly direct perception. Direct perception of the senses is hardly direct. It's a direct misperception most of the time. <laughs> Directly misperceived. All right. Stop there. When to ask him, Bagotan, he died. Oh, the Bakhtabun, he died. Oh, Premanandi.